And yet what did they do? They spared Agag the king, and I think really the case could be made that Saul spared him to use him as a trophy. But nonetheless, we talk about the mission. Now note, if you would, the message. First, word comes to Samuel. And then there's going to be another message delivered by Samuel to Saul. So look at verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Think for a minute about the gravity of what God is saying to Samuel. Do you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when the people asked for a king? They wanted a king to be like all the nations around them. So God gave them a king, didn't he? He would later say, I gave them a king in my wrath. I took him away in my anger. The children of Israel, they wanted a king. And so God places a man on the throne by the name of Saul. Saul was, in my estimation, arrogant and disobedient. And so God here tells Samuel the grave news. And then verse 11 says, And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel was a good man, wasn't he? Samuel was a great prophet of God. And the fact that Saul the king had disobeyed the word of God was a source of great grief to Samuel the prophet. So in verse 12, when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he has set up a monument for himself. You get the impression that he thought a lot about himself, don't you? He had a high estimation of his personal worth. It says that he's gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul. And listen to what Saul said in the long ago. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Had Saul performed the commandment as specified by God through the prophet Samuel? Absolutely not. He had been anything but obedient to the will of God. And so, listen now to the response of Samuel. Samuel asked, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Isn't it incredible that some oxen and sheep basically called Saul a liar, didn't they? I mean, think about it. Here is King Saul. He's saying, look, I have performed the command of God. You can just imagine Samuel saying, wait a minute, what, what is this I hear back here? The lowing of the oxen, the bleeding of the sheep. And so... Saul says, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Whose fault was it? His fault? Listen again. They have brought them from the Amalekites. He put it off on the people, didn't he? The soldiers. And so, verse 16, Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, 
And I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night, and he said, speak on. Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? You know, the Bible says pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they are consumed. In other words, until they are exterminated. You obliterate them. Verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? That's a great question. Is it possible that on the day of judgment, God will say to us individually, why didn't you obey my word? Why didn't you do what I said? You know that I told you to do this or to do that. You didn't do it. Verse 20, I can almost hear in my mind the voice of Saul. Verse 20, Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Listen again to what he said. But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Do you remember what Jesus said again in Matthew 7, verse 21? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied by your name? By your name cast out demons? By your name done many mighty works? What were they saying? Jesus said on the day of judgment, there are going to be people that will stand before him and they're going to claim to have done a lot of things. They're going, to, they're going to claim to have obeyed the voice of God. Verse 21, But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Again, who does he fault? Not himself. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God in the Garden of Eden? God came before Adam in the long ago and he asked the question, Adam, where are you? Did God know where Adam was? Absolutely. But he wanted Adam to know where he was in his sight. That is, his standing before him. And so what did Adam say? The Lord inquired of him about that forbidden tree. And he said, oh, the woman whom you, gave, whom you gave to be with me. She's responsible, isn't she? Why is it in life we tend to pass the buck? It's exactly what Saul tried to do. Now, I want you to pick up with me in verse 22. There were some definitive consequences to Saul. First, there were some direct consequences. And then secondly, there were some distant consequences to his actions. For every action, there is always a corresponding reaction. So, what about the consequences to King Saul. First, listen to what Samuel said to him. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. 
Under the Mosaic dispensation, was God concerned with the kind of sacrifices that they offered Him? Absolutely. But when people simply go through the motions without obeying Him, sacrifice is useless, isn't it? In this case, Saul's trying to say, look, we saved the best of sacrifice to you. And the bottom line is it already belonged to God. And sometimes if we're not careful, we just go through the motions. We just punch a clock. We punch in, we punch out, we think we've done what God's asked of us. When in effect, we haven't. So in verse 23, Samuel said, Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. He said, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, listen, He also has rejected you from being king. So first and foremost, we talk about the consequences to Saul. God said to Saul, let me tell you what, I am removing you. The kingdom that you are over, not yours anymore. So Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice, now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Don't you know those were searing, sobering words to Saul? Don't you know that these words rattled his chain? I mean, you think about here is this proud king. And he is the king over the United Kingdom, and God is saying to him, let me tell you what, your day as ruler is over. You're done. Now you can drop down and look, if you would, at chapter 16, and you find not only did God reject Saul as being king, he replaced him. Chapter 16, verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? He said, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. God would anoint David, the son of Jesse, a shepherd boy, as king over the United Kingdom. I said a moment ago, there were not only direct consequences but there were distant consequences as a result of Saul's disobedience. What we need to understand is when we, when we disobey the will of God, there are always consequences. Those consequences may not necessarily be immediate in nature, but they're coming. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He said, He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Think about how many people in our world today don't have a problem whatsoever drinking alcohol or abusing some type of prescriptive drug or using some other type of chemical substance. And the idea is, I can do it now, I'm young. With no effects, no ill effects, that's what you think. Been a lot of folks. As a matter of fact, I heard this past week. 
In DeSoto County, the number one drug, heroin. To our young people, I say, please, please, stay away from that junk. It'll kill you. I did a funeral this past year for a young man, 29 years old, died of a heroin overdose. Same day, same city, another man, 29 years of age, funeral for him, overdose, heroin. You may think you can get away with it, but the bottom line is it will destroy your mind, it will destroy your body, it will destroy your relationship to God. Solomon said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. It's a it makes brawlers out of people. He said, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You show me people that use alcohol, take other forms of drugs, I'll show you somebody that's foolish. Not what I say, that's what the Lord says. And then think about all of the carnage. People get in their automobiles, they run up and down the highway, and they maim, destroy, and kill innocent people. When I was a freshman in college, one of my classmates, 18 years old, went home for Christmas break, delivering pizzas one night out on the road in Kentucky, struck by a drunk driver, killed, an only child. The consequence, sometimes what you do may not necessarily affect you, but it can also affect other people. In light of that, look over in 1 Samuel chapter 30 for a minute. We talk about direct consequences and distant consequences. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we read about David and his men. They came to Ziklag. And the text tells us on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now let me ask this question. Had Saul done what God told him to do through the prophet Samuel, would this problem have been created? The answer is absolutely not. Saul didn't do his job and guess what? A lot of folks suffered because this man didn't obey God. So look at verse 2. The text tells us the Amalekites took captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city. And there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Now just think about it. David's predecessor, Saul, had been instructed to utterly destroy the Amalekite people. He didn't do it. And so the next king, that is David, his family suffers because of the disobedience and defiance of King Saul. And note the effect it had on them. Verse 4, the Bible says, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Do you think this was devastating to David and the children of Israel? You better believe it was. You better believe it was a terrible, terrible thing to David. Verse 6, the Bible says, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because of 
The soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now I want to ask you a question. When we fail to obey God, is it not the case that we will suffer consequences? And is it not also the case that people that are close to us can also suffer? You might ask the question, well, how so? Think for a minute about the responsibilities that we have as parents. And look, I appreciate so much those of you who are parents that bring your children, your young people, to services on Sunday night. I appreciate you bringing them back on Wednesday night. I appreciate your foresight, your willingness to bring them to Bible class on Sunday morning. There are a lot of mamas and daddies that ought to be here tonight that aren't out of town, but they ought to be here, but they're not here. And here's the problem. Paul said, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So let's just say as a parent, I've got small children. And rather than bringing my children to services and teaching them about God and trying to instruct them in the ways of God, like Timothy's mother and grandmother, you remember it was said of them when the Apostle Paul recalled the genuine faith that dwelt first in Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, and he said, And I am persuaded in you also. In chapter 3, verse 15 of 2 Timothy, Paul said, And that from a child, from a baby, he said, You've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here's the point. A lot of mamas and daddies don't bring their children back. And they don't see the importance of teaching their children the Word of God. And so when their children get to be teenagers... And rather than wanting to be a part of our youth group, rather than wanting to be a part of the work of the church and be a part of the body of Christ, they'd rather hang with their friends in the world. And they're not interested in the church. They're not interested in spiritual things. And you ask the question, where in the world did they learn that? I'll tell you where they learned it. They learned it from their mamas and daddies. Because their mamas and daddies didn't do their job. And because they didn't do their job, guess what? Their children, not not concerned about spiritual things, not interested in coming to the services. Let me tell you what, your children watch what you do. Now I'm not saying that I'm not saying that some folks haven't brought their kids to worship services, they haven't instructed them, and their children haven't gone back into the world. It happens. But the probability of that happening is far less. Our job as parents is to point our children in the direction of heaven, as the psalmist talked about in Psalm 127. As arrows in the hand of a warrior. Here is that warrior, and he's got a bow and an arrow. That arrow is pointed at a target. As a parent, our target is heaven. So that's one consequence of disobedience that impacts not just us, but our children. Same thing could be said about the marital relationship. Sometimes husbands and wives allow that relationship to grow cold and stale. And rather than spending time with one another and 
trying to build one another up and demonstrate love and compassion for one another. They tear each other down. They're distant. They're cold. And guess what? Over time, you've got two individuals that ought to be operating as a team, as a unit, and they've gone their separate ways. Years later, that marriage ends in divorce. And they wonder, what happened? I can tell you what happened. You didn't take care of your business at home. And there are a lot of couples that happens to. And let me tell you, it happens in the church. The Bible talks about how as the husband, we ought to love our wife as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5.25. So, again, realizing the importance of honoring and obeying the will of God. And you know what's sad? What's sad is we have... We have the manual for how to live and interact with one another, how to rear a family, how to have a successful marriage, how to be the kind of person God would be pleased with. And so many times we abdicate this book in our lives. And you know what happens? We suffer for it. And then we wonder, what happened? i tell you what happened. We ignored the will of God. Let me give you another example. We talk about direct consequences and distant consequences. Are there not congregations of God's people that in the selection process of appointing elders, they have put men in who were unqualified to serve? And by that I simply mean they weren't sound in the faith. Paul said in Titus chapter 1, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that by sound doctrine he may be able to exhort and convict the gainsayer. There are congregations in this area, and not just here, but across this countryside, that have unwisely appointed men in the eldership who were not qualified, spiritually speaking. They were not faithful to the teaching of Almighty God, and so what happens? Little by little, the congregation begins to drift. I can think of a preacher right now that had a tremendous sway over a congregation. And this going back many, many years. And this fellow was somewhat like a meteor that flashed across the sky. And everybody thought he was so great and so intelligent and he had so many things to say that were good. Let me tell you what. Not only did he leave, not only did he leave the fundamentals of New Testament Christianity, but he took a congregation with him. That would never have happened if godly elders hadn't stood up at some point in time and said, you know what, that's not going to happen here. We're not going this route. But apparently they were mesmerized by this guy. And so the bottom line is this. If we're not careful in the church today, and I'm talking about the church universally and locally, if we select unqualified men to serve as elders, don't be surprised when a congregation begins to move away from the principles of New Testament Christianity. By the same token, put a man in the pulpit that is a wolf in sheep's clothing, 
And I can promise you, that congregation, if he is left, left unchecked, that congregation will move to the point it's no longer recognizable as a New Testament church. And brethren that have labored and served and sacrificed and done their very best to build that congregation will find themselves on the outside looking in. And it happens, and it has happened. And so there are some tremendous lessons from the life of Saul. One other lesson. The Bible tells us when we become children of God, we are to put to death the old man with its passions and lust, Galatians 5, verse 24. When we fail to put to death that old man of sin, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6, when we fail to die to the love and the practice of sin, what happens? That old man of sin runs roughshod over our lives. And rather than living distinct, faithful Christian lives, we're back in the world. And so, what we want to do to the best of our ability is to be obedient to God, to do what He says. Because after all, when we talk about Christianity and the commands of Almighty God, it's not a cafeteria. It's not the Piccadilly. We don't just come in and choose what we like and ignore what we dislike. What's the old slogan? Have it your way. doesn't work that way with God. It's have it, it's have it His way. As we sang a moment ago, have thine own way. Oh, Lord, to allow God's will to take precedence in our lives. Tonight it might be the case that you're here and you're not a Christian. And it may be that you're thinking in your, in your mind, in your heart, I've obeyed the commands of God. I believe Jesus to be the Son of God. And I have repented of my sins, but I've never been baptized into Christ. If that's the case, rather than being in Christ, you're out of Christ. And the only way to get in Christ is to obey the gospel. Paul was instructed, Saul of Tarsus instructed by Ananias to arise, be baptized, and wash away his sins. That's God's plan. I can't alter it. I can't modify it. It's exactly what God said to do. When you do that, God will put you in the church, Acts 2.47. You'll enjoy the quality of life defined as eternal, 1 John 2.25. And if you are faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. How many folks do you think will one day stand before God? And just like Saul of old, they'll say, but I have obeyed your commands, when in fact they haven't. Have you obeyed the word of God? Have you obeyed the gospel? If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, you're not living as you ought to live, could we pray with you and for you? God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9. Won't you come as we stand and sing?